0: I'm here with uh, Alex Seaver, now the solo creative for the project known as Mako. So, Alex, how have you been doing today? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I'm really glad that uh, we can catch this time together. Yeah, me too. Uh, So you're on the Breathe Tour. That's right. you're here in New York tonight. How's
1: the tour been going so far? The tour's been amazing. We're actually at the very end of it. So we've been on a six-week bender on the tour bus. And this one, I go home tomorrow. You go home
0: tomorrow. Home is LA. (coughs) Home is Los Angeles. You're obviously uh, running this solo now. It's a big change to have taken the project on your own. Tell me what it's been like running Mako as just Alex's and uh, what you've been doing with it.
1: There's parts of it that are a lot different and there's parts of it that feel exactly the same. I always made all the music in Los Angeles, and he's been out here in New York in law school for the last three years. So um, everything from our first record to now, I just produced on my own. And then Logan would always kind of encourage me and give me some guidance, and then he would make our DJ sets. And then I'd meet him in the city, and we'd go DJ. And uh, around the time he was finishing law school, I was getting really into uh, just – bands and and just singing more and just really taking sort of more of a front man thing and so uh we made hourglass and at the time we released it and kind of thought about performing it and touring off of it it just didn't feel like dj music it felt like a band it felt like sort Definitely of a hybrid not. thing yeah and uh and so we we tried it and logan came out for a couple dates but he doesn't play any instruments so we were just kind of having to shakers and stuff but uh i was really terrified on the hourglass tour singing for the first time um we're lucky to have like some amazing musicians with us um, that we brought along for, for the brief tour, too. So it's just different performing as a DJ versus performing with a band on stage. And so the first tour was a lot of adjusting. And this tour has been a lot about just really flexing and getting comfortable out there. Absolutely. So you've only been singing for a,
0: a few years now. Yeah, not long. Can you, can you tell me a little bit more about uh, that journey to discovering your voice? What's it been like taking on singing with the project and being pulled into other artists' collaborations?
1: Yeah, when we first were, you know, really trying to get Mako moving forward, we were asking ourselves, how do we kind of rise above the noise or get noticed? And one thing I noticed living in Los Angeles is that every single DJ would come to town and needed vocals, every single one. None of them wrote their own songs, and they all needed them. And so I thought, oh, I'm a, I'm a musical person, so I'll just write songs for these guys, and then that way we can kind of get onto collaborations. This is when any anybody release a collab with whatever, Sebastian and Grosso, they'd blow up the next day. So you're like, okay, I really want to do that. <clears throat> I didn't know any male singers, I knew a lot of female singers in LA, so I needed to record a song with a guy vocal and uh, I just, I didn't have anybody in my studio, so I just tracked it myself, auto-tuned the Jesus out of it, and uh, just sent it out, like assuming if we got it, somebody go, okay, great, let's get a different singer now. And I got the okay, great. And then I never heard anything about replacing the singer. And I didn't tell anybody it was me. It was just that was the song that we put out. And uh, it was a song we eventually released called Way Back Home. And uh, I think just sneaking one in the gate like that kind of encouraged me to try a couple more. And then eventually I got to one called Our Story that we actually released. So it's the first time having my voice on a thing that we published. And something about it, it became one of our fan favorites. And that just gave me all the confidence in the world to like add that element and like you were saying like as soon as I started to realize that it was something we could offer that no other DJ could offer that became really the pivot moment of just let's make it about this let's make it about the things that we can do that other people can't because there's 80 million DJs that can produce so much better sounds than I can so much more aggressive or beautiful or tight but nobody's got everybody's voice is just uniquely their own so if we can turn it up to be about that I think it'd be really special mentioned that our story
0: is a fan favorite what do you think about our story resonates
1: with your listening audience oh that's a great question I mean I don't know for me like I write from what I know and what I know is sort of like an emotional angle on innocence and and loss of innocence and beauty and love and just all the things that sort of swirl around my own life I didn't have a difficult life but I had a really beautiful life so those are the things that I write about and uh, I think there's a universal aspect to those feelings for our generation especially and uh, I, I wrote that song is kind of in a style that has a sing-along rhythm to it so that yeah. people can really kind of chant along with it and I, I you know it's you, you can never really write those songs on command but when they pop up In your creative process they just kind of end up right in front of you and you just sort of pursue it and there was something really special about that song for me because like i said it was the first one we published with my voice so having it also connect with people still to this day i mean we close with it it's one of our strongest songs it's a really cool feeling so i have a personal attachment to it for many reasons but it's really cool to see other people do as well for hourglass it's the first
0: album that you have uh, written Mm -hmm. sang on and produced can you tell me a little bit more about How Hourglass is shaping Mako moving forward and and then, you know, if there's going to be any changes down the line. Yeah, I mean Hourglass
1: is a whole collection of songs was the first time I didn't think, what genre is this? I just made a piece of music and it's a weird electrifyingly addicting thing when you're just making progressive house and that was the only thing you ever made. Uh, to just go Fuck it I don't care what tempo this is I don't care what the arrangement is I yeah. just, I have a song that's, That I like a lot Let's just dress it up What's the best way to dress it up Yeah And uh, that feeling And then just Having people be okay with that Because there's a lot of stigma When you're known for one thing About right. trying something else But having people really Like sort of Circle around it And embrace it Is the most encouraging feeling So I think The eternal warfare Is between Making commercial things Versus cinematic style things But I think you'll probably expect a, a healthy interchange of both of those kinds of styles going forward.
0: Do you think that uh, there's a struggle right now in the industry between making things that are
1: popular and making things that are authentic? I think that is the most like massive struggle going on for all, especially electronic artists who are trying to reconfigure themselves now that the format of you know, 128 house isn't the thing, yeah. is everybody's okay. angle. And I mean, it's also like, The commercialization and the consumption of music. Spotify dominates everything. And if you have one thing light up, if you behave and play by the rules, your life can change for the better. You can actually make a living from your craft. And I never look down at people that choose a commercial option because I know how hard it is to just not have to work a day job so that you can make music all day. And I, I deal we all deal with that struggle. And you hear a list artists who are so unique, and then all of a sudden they hit big, and you can hear they're chasing a thing all of a yes, sudden. Totally, and it's a it's a it's a struggle. And I think the best you can do, and what's nice about these tours for me is I get to play my songs and see the people I'm playing for. I'm not thinking about the industry when I'm doing right. it. I'm not you're not worried about the. I'm not in the studio comparing my shit to X or Y other artists. I'm going. This is reacting. For, these are my people, these are my fans, oh, yeah. this is what's working for them, and and I know why it was, because I know where I was when I made it. I wasn't in a commercial place, so I wasn't yeah. strategizing, to make a thing, or yeah, I was trying just trying to make something, to make something, something authentic radio. and something beautiful, and uh, mm-hmm. so, you know, Right after tour is probably the most like creatively intense period to get in the studio because it's all fresh. So I'm really looking forward to going home tomorrow and then just diving back into it with all of this experience fresh on my mind. And, you know, the one thing I really want to deliver is just more things that will make these people happy because that's the end all for me. I mean, if it works commercially, that's obviously really great for a lot of reasons and it helps keep things going. But the reason we got into it was for this. So, you know, it only makes sense to sustain it that way. Do so you think you're going to jump in right away as soon as you get oh, home? Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah no yeah. time off? No, I mean, I'm going to try to go in studio on Monday. I'm sure I'm going to be obliterated tired, so yeah. I, I, I can be certain it'll be a fool's errand. But the second I'm, like, physically able to just focus, I'm going to be back at it. Yeah. Is that just writing down thoughts or is that writing down? Rhythm? Oh, yeah. Like, well, what are you I have a doing? ton of thoughts already. I mean, I just have a collection of things that I keep going on a notepad that now I just need to pour out. and yeah. Just being in my space. Some artists are so talented at working on a bus on a laptop. But yeah. I have a really nice studio in L.A. with all my instruments and just my it's like a happy place. So yeah. I, it'll be really nice to just kind of bathe in everything that I've been thinking about on the laptop and on the phone and actually kind of put it in high def, so to speak. I'm a, I'm a routine kind of person, so I wake up in the morning and I like going to work in the morning and being in studio all day. Um, yeah. Some people are great in spurts, they can go into a coffee shop and do yep. some stuff and whatever. But for me, I, I'm a creature of habit. And so uh, all the really interesting thinking is going on living my life, but yep. the actual creating is going on in the studio. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your background. How did your classical
0: background shape breathe? And now that you're a solo artist, is that still
1: shaping? Where you want to take Mako? It's definitely shaping where I'd like to take Mako. I think with Breathe, the ultimate interest was uh, to make a pop record that sounded like a pop record, but using almost exclusively organic instruments. So, right, being an electronic artist, you have the benefit of being able to say anything goes. I can make anything as a sound, and I you can, can use do a it. trash can. Yeah, and I think that's fucking cool. That's exciting, and I was hooked by that for a long time, and. For me, there's something so personable about just a lonely guitar in a room with a voice over the top of it. You can communicate authenticity in a way that's really cool. And I listen to a lot of great indie artists that just do that artists like Daughter. I was listening to the lead guitar in that song Youth for so long. Like, what is it about that tone that she can just glide this poetry over and you're just so drawn in, in a very intimate way. And so I find that there's a lot of intimacy in organic instruments and there's a lot of humanity in the imperfections of organic instruments. So recording all those guitars, all the drums by just slapping the bodies of guitars, you're not getting quantized perfect drums. You're getting crazy stuff with some sloppy fills. And my guitar playing is just atrocious which but is you're why getting all these, a band. yeah nasty slides in there and it's just a human being doing it but then I mixed it in a way that's very contemporary. So the drums are super hot, the vocals are super loud. And then by the time the third chorus hits, I started to take some real chances with my voice. Like I have this bizarre girly falsetto that can just kind of fly high. So I just let it rip. And you know, all those little things are just little pieces of things that I love. And so I was really happy to kind of be able to tie it all together and breathe.
0: You're obviously a Juilliard educated uh, artist. having that educational background and that in-depth understanding about production and composition, have you ever had a hard time or have you ever had a um, you know, difficulty trying to unlearn the things that, uh, you know, were beat into you in in music
1: school? Oh, yeah. I mean, you hear it at every level. So even at conservatory, I was a French horn player. So I wasn't a composition major, but the composition majors were just so eternally distracted by intellectual pursuits with their music that you lose yourself in the woods. I mean, when you're just thinking about the mathematics behind what you're doing or the voice leading, Mm -hmm. it's so easy to forget what music is. And very similarly, the yeah, I mean, then with what I do is to not get lost about all the things that distract me when I'm writing and just think about what it is to make music. And electronic music, this is a little bit of lingo-y, but it's very, it's very minimal in dynamics. So it's very loud from start to finish, which yes. means that you don't have a lot of opportunities to create subtlety or to create right. really – Vibrant texture, soundscapes and texture. Yeah, which is what I'm really drawn to because everything is getting compressed to the nth degree, right. and so there's a huge element of dumbing it down. And I've recently found a great collaborator who I worked with on Breathe. His name is Scott Brusneck, and he uh, he has me do stupid exercises that are so helpful. Like write a song with just a kick drum and a snare drum, no nothing else. And it's that just kind of just to get of, the vibe down and the get, pace because down because that's what people connect to when yep. they're in a Seven Eleven and they're just trying to buy some shit and they're, just, they're tapping their foot in the back. It's just the kick and the snare. That's that's it. And that's what really that's what draws people in. And I yeah. can think forever about how interesting the chord progression is or what the voicing is. Right. But you know when you get down to those, it, and I think the most successful creators are brilliant, and they can turn off certain switches in their brain at certain parts of the process. Yeah, And that's what I really want to learn to get great at.
0: You mentioned in past interviews that down the line, you thought that your path was almost going to be writing cinematic songs for films and for TV. Is that still the vision down the line? And what has really drawn you to uh, the idea of writing cinematic scores, and uh, what captures your interest there?
1: Yeah, I mean, the orchestra is the first thing that ever just – like nailed me to the wall with having a musical identity as a kid was hearing Scheherazade and Brahms symphonies and Dvorak and just all this stuff. Just like for some reason, the sound of an orchestra, which is inherently cinematic because we use the orchestra to score our movies. is just so unbelievably beautiful. And it just, it it gives me chills the way that anybody's favorite shit does. And, uh, I, It's always been in the back of my head that I want to end up there, and I still absolutely do. And the interesting thing is over time, instead of wanting to just piggyback on electronic music and then eventually switch – now I really look up to and admire those amazing artists like Trent Reznor from Nine Inch Nails, yep. Johnny Greenwood from Radiohead, uh, M83, Anthony, and like you know uh, Junkie XL, uh, who now is like one of the biggest composers on the planet. Like those are the arts that are so awesome to me because they can take a break, make an album, go tour, and then score some films with amazing yeah. directors. Like holy shit, like that's everything right yeah. there. Um. So the the real goal for me and the prize would be you know 20 years from now to have. Bunch of albums under my belt, and you a bunch of films. films as oh, well. I'm just writing. Oh, that would be it. So that's still really like kind of where I'm. Yeah. Just lightly
0: pushing everything. You transitioned over time into the electronic music. What
1: sparked that transition? You it know, was the weirdest confluence of events. I mean, I graduated from Juilliard. I moved to LA to pursue film music. Right. My dad introduced me to Logan because me and Logan's fathers were college roommates. and Logan Oh, said, wow. I had no idea. Oh, yeah. He said, do you want to come to EDC? And I was like, what, what is that? He goes, Electric Daisy Carnival. Yep. Like, that sounds weird. He goes, it's in Vegas. I was like, I'll go to Vegas. And I, I didn't know a single thing. I probably knew Harder, Better, Faster, Stronger and Sandstorm. I had just heard being on the internet. I didn't know anything else. And we walk up to Vegas and it's Swedish House Mafia. And I was like, what? The fuck is this? And seeing the relationship of artists to kids, rather than what I was doing, which was concert hall to silhouettes of old people, yeah. it was just like holy cow! Like I've never felt this way with my peers around music. It was there's something communal about it, but still beautiful, epic, cinematic. Yep. And uh, then the idiot in me thought, you know, I started listening to the chords, listening to melody, and thinking. Oh, I can write it's that. It's not that hard. Yeah. Little did I know that it's packaged in with that is sound design and production and a different way of thinking about composition yeah. and, some, and versions of dumbing things down to make other things more prominent. And yeah. it's been a thing I've been chasing ever since. But it was like such a bizarre like – This could have easily never existed for me. It never could have crossed my path, but it just happened to at a weird point in my life where I quit playing French. Like I was at Juilliard and I graduated. You're not trained for anything else. It's like coming out of prison. You just have no skill sets to enter the workforce, and I just threw it away. just I don't know what about it hooked me, but when you're a creative person, I think you can't deny it, and you should never stifle that. You should always pursue it. You move from... Like
0: playing something like the French horn and now you're producing EDM and all of a sudden you're thrown into this world where you've got to create this new music you've never understood it before. What was it like trying to learn that trait? Like were you teaching yourself? Were you
1: just engrossing yourself in the music? It's humiliating and, uh, and really frustrating. And uh, when you can hear advanced levels of music, when I go to the Metropolitan Opera or go to Carnegie and see the Berlin Philharmonic, my ears are tuned to hear music. So when then you forsake whatever you're doing and start with dummy instruments – you know the entire journey how bad you are. Mm-hmm. I still hear how atrocious I am at so many things, and it's so hard not to get frustrated. Um, but I don't know what about it made it okay for me to just be terrible yeah. and get better. I think it was just that it was so fresh and so new and that I loved the artist I yeah. loved so much. I mean Avicii, Alessa, Swedish House Mafia, Calvin Harris, like all those people. I was just fucking loved it. Yeah and uh and so i just wanted to get there no matter what it took and having an advanced ear made it really easy to teach myself yeah. i mean i can break down rhythm harmony melody form all yeah. that stuff i can break it down immediately and
0: you don't have to hear the whole song either you can hear, I can hear it you quickly. know a snippet six seconds, seconds and understand yeah not it's a symphony about.
1: it's just a three and a half minute track the stuff that was brand new to me was frequency sub bass grooves, choice of drums, having a taste. Well, a lot of stuff that is inherent in music, but wasn't inherent in classical music. Classical music doesn't have drum grooves. It develops constantly. So being like, oh shit, what is a groove? And then also, what do I I like like in groove? What grooves do I like? Like,
0: like how am I trying to make this song progress?
1: Absolutely. I mean, just those are, and then like, okay, not thinking of it as in like, okay, the double basses are clashing with the bassoons because they're both in low tessituras. It's thinking like, okay, 200 hertz is muddy. Why is it muddy? What the right. fuck is 200 Why hertz? does this... There was some things that were very foreign that I yeah. was like, a whole new world, just figuring it out. Right.
0: For you, do you think that having a bunch of different creative outlets as an artist is essential for you to help uh, your career along and, and to create better music in general?
1: I'd say it's a personal thing for each creator, but for me, that's the case. Yeah. Um, I would love the idea of not... Breaking and being a star, I love the idea of being really solid at a lot of different yeah varieties of music late and then late in my career really starting to like blossom with everything yeah. um i love the idea of just because it all informs itself in such interesting ways i mean all the work i do with edm gives me such a different perspective on how i score films now and how i write and how i design sounds which gives me such a different perspective on writing songs and what people on their everyday are listening to and how people interact with music generally and what an orchestra means to an edm audience and what edm music means to an orchestra audience i mean these worlds are so bizarrely separated from each other. They should be more tied. Together. Oh, I would love it for them to be. Yeah. And some of my favorite things that I've encountered is like Above and Beyond doing their acoustic concert, and I saw both of those shows on tour. Yeah. Just seeing all these kids like just moved to tears by this jazz orchestra with Above and Beyond in there. It was like, hell yeah, like that's awesome.
0: When you think about, you know, there are certain EDM songs that pull in classical instruments like violin and cello, yeah. and it really creates... An emotional feeling about the song and I think that some of that is lost nowadays in trying to create a song that is built for the mass market rather than something that is like from a sonic perspective complex
1: I mean because what can compete with a Skrillex wall of dubstep sound it is the loudest most aggressive thing so it replaced punk rock for a lot of these kids. And I totally understand it. Like, I don't... I it, Music is always going to move on and things are going to come and go from style. And I'm never that regretful like we've lost something. It's just we need to find the people that can create those... Like, use a cello in a way that fucking sounds modern. It's yeah. like anything. I mean, if, if right. you can bring a cello and make a badass giant record or like the way Clean Bandit uses – That's like who I was thinking in my head. Like yeah. holy shit. It is so beautiful and and uplifting and amazing to listen to Clean Bandit yeah. when it's done well. Like when it's yeah. done that well, it's so amazing. And that's what's going to bring people back in and be, get people acquainted. I mean we had a show a couple days ago where a girl Snapchatted me saying – LOL, this is my first time at a concert with live instruments. Like, we're at that era now, or these wow. kids are just growing up and they've never seen shows <laughs> show with an instrument. It's mind-blowing. Really it's sad. But at the same time, it's like, well, I'm fucking glad to be the first one. That's a goal for me, too, is to, to be a, w- one of the many artists out there that are just starting to reappoint people with that stuff.
0: How has it been playing with a live band, and how has that changed the sound of your music for better
1: or for worse? It's been, it's been interesting. I would say it's not the smoothest process because I still, unlike a band, I still make all the music alone on a computer. I'm right. recording instruments. But it's not a, the version of a band rents a studio, hires a producer, they right. camp out for a week, smoke a lot of weed and make a record. It's right. still me making songs, and then here's a band. Okay, how do we assign all this to you guys? But yeah, there's a lot of creative remixing being done on stage. Some songs are straight up off the record. They sound just like they do. Yeah. Some songs are special versions that sound better with this ensemble. And yeah. I, what I found is every single song is different. Every single song resonates, it needs a little bit more electronics or way less depending on the song. and. Uh, the nice thing about having musicians that are this good is that they give me input because um, it's foreign for me working with a band. I didn't grow up with bands. I grew right. up with orchestras. Yeah. So it's another version of just leaping into the unknown and kind of trying to catch up with what everybody else has been doing. Yeah. Um, so it's I'm really happy with where we got it, but it took some, it took some work.